Hello, my dudes. Welcome back to Previously Gifted. As you are listening or watching this, I am on a freaking cruise, bitch. Um, I'm with Nathan's family on a cruise on a Christmas holiday. I can't believe it because I'm definitely not the type of person who does that in life. So I'm living my dreams and present me, but past me to you has been good and has pre-recorded this episode. So I'm being productive and I'm being rewarded with warmth and the ability to wear bathing suits. I have been shopping a lot this week on Depop because I realized the one swimsuit I brought with me because I didn't expect to need one in England um, doesn't fit and the top is like see-through. So (laughs) not good to hang out with your boyfriend's family wearing that kind of a swimsuit. Honestly, not really good to hang out with most people wearing that kind of a swimsuit. So I've been shopping on Depop and I bought three, three and a half new bathing suits, more than was necessary for like a week-long cruise. But it's lit. They've been coming in the mail. I'm trying them on. I'm like, wow, um, this is what it's like to wear something that fits you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does anybody else have the problem of like uh, tricking yourself into thinking that you're still the same size you were in like 2012? Because, oh my god, I saw a picture of myself No, it was a video. I put it on Instagram for a couple hours. Um, A freaking video of myself in this cute vintage bathing suit from my senior year in high school. And I looked so damn good. And I was like, you stupid skinny bitch. Like, (laughs) and you know, to be fair, it's not like I hate my body right now, but I'm just growing. I'm growing into a woman. And most importantly, I'm just not the same size that I was years ago. And that's fine. But anyway, I, for so long, was like, no, I'm this size. I'm, I wear this size pants. I wear this size. Stupid. <laughs> like, for so long, I was squeezing myself into these really painful, like, super tight, like, small shirts. And then I'd go, oh, why don't I try a medium or a large? And I'm like, this is what it feels like to be comfortable? Wow. To wear things that don't dig into your skin? I'm like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, everybody listening, Here's a new tip. Wear clothes that fit you. (laughs) Give yourself some literal breathing room. Anyway, um, yeah, that's my big accomplishment of the day. I also got a new book. I probably mentioned this one. It's called I'll Give You the Sun. It is the... Actually, it's not a sequel. I almost called it a sequel. It's the second novel by Jandy Nelson. I talked about her book... Uh, I already forgot what it's called. It was my last book review. (laughs) I also, I finished a second book, which is over on my desk over there, called The Second Child or something. And it was like a classic, um, switched at birth kind of story, but it was like pretty sad, but it was more about like family relationships and all that. Anyway, I didn't think that one was really worth a book review, to be honest, but, uh, it was nice. At least I finished it. Anyway, today's episode is actually all about me. (laughs) Shocker. Today, I wanted to go into quizzes (laughs) and like personality tests because I'm a hoe for a personality test. So today's episode is the internet can tell me who I am. And I will go over what is called the eight values test a philosophy dictum... No, I, I practiced pronouncing this and I'm pronouncing it wrong. A philosophy dichotomy test. Dichotomy test. God, that was hard. And um, my Myers-Briggs. And I downloaded the app CoStar, thanks to many of your recommendations, which is about astrology. So I'm going to be going over all of my signs, my star sign, my rising, my ascendant, same thing, my moon you know? (laughs) And I don't really understand most of it. So you will, um, you'll get a little perspective from me, which is not very knowledgeable, but it's still very interesting. I love learning things about myself in quotations because it's like, are any of these things learning or is it just kind of like you accept what you believe to be true or you agree with it because you're being told that it's true? And again, people are always like, these tests, like, (laughs) there's, like, no correlation. Like, it could be true for any number of people. But don't harsh my mellow, okay? I just wanted to have something light and fun to talk about. And that's what it's going to be today. So, (laughs) stay tuned. 
But before we get started, as always, I have to give a shout out to my patrons. If you guys want to support the podcast directly, you can donate monthly to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash previously gifted. Um, on that Patreon, we have what are called sponsors, aka... No offense, but the most important patrons. (laughs) And so I got to give them a shout out. We have Hannah Baker, Eric Courtright, Liz Walsh, and Love You. I don't know what it is with the mic today, but I I feel like I'm hearing like two recordings right now. So it kind of sounds like a cooler, um, like announcer style. It may not even sound like that to you guys. But that's what it sounds like to me. Anyway, thank you guys so much for being patrons and supporting the podcast. And thank you to everyone who is listening or watching. I love all of you. All right. Before I get started into all of these tests and quizzes, um, I just want to talk about the close friends thing on Instagram. Okay. Instagram came out with this new thing where on your story, you can post to your story which is everybody that follows you, obviously, or you can post to what is called close friends, where you get to create a list of your close friends, which by the way, I haven't had to deal with this since MySpace, you know, top eight days. So it stressed me out. I'm not going to lie. I haven't really been trying to, you know, order my friends in, you know, number or try to figure out, you know, who's a friend, who's an acquaintance, like... I got so stressed out and low-key so insecure. I don't know how many people are using this feature so far. I haven't really seen much about it. But um, I was like, oh, sure. Because, I mean, I only have one Instagram. I don't have a Finsta. I don't have, like, a private Instagram just for people who actually know me. So the things that I post on Instagram are for everyone, from everybody I knew in high school who's still following me to my actual friends and um, (laughs) all of you guys who follow me on Instagram. And I like it that way. I don't like to have to have different social media accounts. Like, I don't need to be keeping up with that many accounts at once. So I usually just post whatever I'm fine with everybody seeing. But then I was like, you know what? It would be kind of nice to post some things that I kind of wouldn't post usually because they're a little more personal or, like, reveal some private information. I don't know. Um... But I was like, all right, let me try this close friends feature. The first thing I went to post on it was just (laughs) a video of me singing to Nathan's dog, one of his dogs. And um, I was just going to post it to my story. But then I was like, hmm, I don't really want everybody hearing me sing. It's not really a thing anybody wants to hear anybody do. Do my close friends want to hear it? Probably not. But um, so I started making my list. And it kind of suggests people based on, I think, who you message, who you interact with, who you comment back and forth with. So my list was basically family members, like my siblings, my grandma, um, McKenna, and then a couple of people who I guess I don't know in real life, but I do talk to a lot on Instagram. Then, of course, like Nathan. But as I was going through my mind, I was like, oh, I'll just add everyone to my close friends if, like... I know them in person or whatever. So, like, internet friends that I may not talk to all the time, but I'd be fine with them seeing anything that I post. And then I realized that they could see if I added them to my close friends list. Like, when you're looking at somebody's story, it says close friends in, like, green. And I I was like, oh, my God. Imagine, like, vaguely knowing me, like, meeting me at VidCon years ago, and I add you to my close friends list. And then people are like, oh, God, she thinks, like we're close. Like, that's so weird. I feel like we're just, like, acquaintances. And I'm just like, oh, why did we have to create another thing to make me insecure? And then I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, great. How many of my close friends aren't going to add me to their close friends? (laughs) And I'm like, nice. Another thing to be insecure about. Honestly, I was so happy when freaking Snapchat got rid of the best friends feature. I know there was a lot of tea with people being like, this is how I stalk my boyfriend and figure out if he's cheating on me with a Snapchat hoe or something. Um, I just hated, I hated best friends because yeah, it's like, it it makes it even more important for you to like keep up this friendship or relationship with people just for the sake of like appearances. So it's like, oh, like if your significant other isn't like number one or number two on your close friends on Snapchat, then like, 
what's going on? Or like, oh, I'm so glad it's gone. It just causes so many people to read way too deeply into things. And uh, we don't need that kind of toxicity in our lives. We have enough of it, thanks to social media in general. But anyway, that was just my my worry, my, my concern about the close friends feature. Again, I think it'll continue to be used more often like later on, but I think for now people are like, Instagram, we already have Finstas, like, I don't need to use this feature. And to that I say, touche, you know? Okay, so let's jump into this. Uh, I guess I'll start with my Myers-Briggs. I have taken this test many times. The first time I took it, I think, was in AP Psych uh, in high school. And God, (sighs) can we just talk about, like, the joy of learning psychology for the first time, like very basic psychology. Um, I feel like it's such an invigorating experience because everybody ends up like, obviously you learn about all the like basic landmark studies and stuff and like examples and like social experiments and people are like, you know, that whole elevator thing, like I dare you to walk onto an elevator and like not turn around, like face everybody instead of facing the door. It's so weird. (laughs) I feel like everybody talks about all the same things and remembers the same examples. My AP Psych teacher shouts out Mrs. Wright. She is fucking dope. She was, like, one of the coolest teachers at our school. She's still there. But um, I really enjoyed her class, and she had so many great stories that, you know, of course connected to psychology, but, like, she's just such a wonderful woman. So she made that class very uh, enjoyable. But anyway, we took the Myers-Briggs test in AP Psych, and I'm pretty sure I have always been an ENFP, which is extroverted, intuitive, feeling, and perceiving. Um, But honestly, I'm always very, very close to 50-50 on the E for extroverted, um, because most of the time, I guess I would consider myself to be more introverted. So I guess I could be an INFP as well. I think that's more true to who I am currently, because in this time in my life, I am not very extroverted. I don't socialize that often. I wouldn't call myself very outgoing at this point. But in in general, in my personality, um, I'm not sure. So I, I have a bunch of screenshots of all these different things, so I can just read them to you, and hopefully you'll learn something new about me. This is such an egotistical thing to do. I feel like this is like, like a sleepover with your friends, but like, Imagine I have the computer and I'm taking all these tests and not letting you do it. And then I think that you enjoy hearing about my results when really you just want to take the test yourself and talk about yours because everybody likes talking about themselves. So that's kind of what this is. (laughs) This is just me hogging the computer and talking about myself all night. And then at the end of the night, we talk about the universe and how scary it is and how how we were raised and if we think religion is good or bad. And then we just fall asleep after, like, turning away from each other and just staring at the wall. Or is that just me? (laughs) Okay, let's get into this. So, I always like to use the 16personalities.com test for the Myers-Briggs, because I think it has really great information once you find out what personality type you are. So, ENFP is um, the campaigner, and... ENFP and INFP fall under the um, diplomat personality group, I think. So, sorry, I'm always burping and it's it's so fucking annoying. I'm so sorry. I'm like choking on things. I just ate like a pudding and a bag of chips. (laughs) So gross. But I realized it was like 2 p.m. and I hadn't had lunch yet. So, had to snack before the pod. ENFP, the campaigner. The ENFP personality is a true free spirit. They often are the life of the party, and unlike explorers, they are less interested in the sheer excitement and pleasure of the moment than they are in enjoying this... Oh, fuck, the screenshot ruined this. The something and emotional connections they make with others. Charming, independent, energetic, and compassionate. Blah, blah, blah. They comprise... Sorry, no. This... (laughs) (laughs) The 7% of the population that they comprise can certainly be felt in any crowd. That's where I'm like, "Mm, that doesn't sound like me. That doesn't sound like current me. Like, maybe, I think in high school I was a bit more outgoing because of McKenna, because I feel like 
with Kenna, I always felt sillier and I was like more willing to be loud or like, I feel like we were just like always joking a lot together and she gave me more of that confidence to be silly. Um, but I feel like on my own, I'm a lot more shy and reserved usually. So yeah, ENFP, I'm like, I don't think that really matches me currently, but INFP is called the mediator, which right off the bat, I'm like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> so growing up, um, I'm a Libra. <laughs> we'll talk about astrology later on, but uh, Libras are very like all about fairness and justice. Ju- what am I saying? Justice and balance. So I feel like when I was younger, out of my whole family, I felt like I was the most calm and level-headed and I just wanted to like de-escalate any situation. Like if people were arguing, I would jump in the middle and just be like, hey, let's all chill out. All right. So I feel like I am a bit of a mediator kind of person. So INFP personalities are true idealists, always looking for the hint of good, even in the worst of people and events, searching for ways to make things better. While they may be perceived as calm, reserved, or even shy, INFPs have an inner flame and passion that can truly shine. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Nice. Being part of the diplomat personality group, INFPs are guided by their principles rather than logic. Definitely. Excitement. Oh. They're guided by their principles rather than logic, excitement, or practicality. Yeah, I would say that. Principles, ethics, morals, sure. When deciding how to move forward, they will look to honor, beauty, morality, and virtue. INFPs are led by the purity of their intent, not rewards or punishments. Thank you. Very cool. (laughs) Um, INFPs are poets, writers, and actors. The strength of this intuitive communication style lends itself well to creative works, blah, blah, blah. Um, I always hate reading these because, yeah, I feel like they're so, like, self, um, just, like, self-gratifying to be, like, these are creative and intuitive and wonderful and beautiful people. Um, and I don't 100% agree with all of this. I mean, it's hard to look at yourself, you know, objectively and try to say if it's true rather than, like, your idealized version of yourself in your head. Um, so, (laughs) it says... Their gift for communication... Oh, wait. Ooh, okay. Hold on. INFP's ability with language doesn't stop with their native tongue either. As with most people who share their diplomat personality types, they are considered gifted when it comes to learning a second or third language. Hell yeah, bitch. Did I mention I studied abroad in France? (laughs) Their gift for communication also lends itself well to INFP's desire for harmony, a recurring theme with diplomats, and helps them move forward as they find their calling. Listen to many people, but talk to few. Unlike their extroverted cousins, INFPs will focus their attention on just a few people. Very true. (laughs) Spread too thinly, they'll run out of energy and even become dejected and overwhelmed by all the bad in the world that they can't fix. Yeah, that's, that's very true. I definitely cannot be spread too thin, and I have energy that must be allocated very wisely. (laughs) So, um, yeah, good times. Mediators you may know, INFPs, include William Shakespeare and J.R.R. Tolkien, which, by the way, we're still watching Lord of the Rings. We're actually going to watch the last bit of it tonight, the third movie. Um, I have really been enjoying Lord of the Rings, surprisingly. I mean, not really surprisingly, because I knew they were really good. It just kind of took that initial many years of getting through the first film without falling asleep to be like, oh yeah, okay, I get it, finally. (laughs) You know, it's hard to like watch it and fall asleep and then wake up and be like, what's happening? What's an orc? Hmm? (laughs) So I finally understand and I'm really proud of myself. So, okay, there there goes the Myers-Briggs section, which I think is honestly pretty boring. Um... Because, obviously, there's so much to the so-called science or whatever, psychology of personality tests. A lot of people are like, oh, Myers-Briggs is bullshit, whatever. It doesn't really mean anything, which, you know, think what you want. But I think it is fun either way to take these quizzes, think a little bit about yourself, your behavior, how you react to things, 
and then, you know, read if it rings true to you. So, some more interesting things that I recently found include the eight values test and the philosophy dichotomy. (laughs) I don't know why that's a word that's so hard for me to read. Dichotomy. Dichotomy test. Yes. The eight values test I posted on my Instagram. So, sorry for those of you who um, already saw this. Hold on. The computer fell asleep. Don't do that. Um, I'm going to pull up the screenshot. So the eight values test, you can go to eightvalues.com, I'm pretty sure. It is basically a political kind of test, but it tells you where you land on different axes. Hmm. So there's the economic axis, which goes from equality to markets. So it's like, you know, are you more of a socialist kind of thinker in terms of economic issues or more free market, laissez-faire, that sort of thing. Um, I am a socialist, apparently. (laughs) It was 77% toward equality. And that that definitely rings true for me, 100%. I believe that, you know, a nation such as the U.S. should use its economic resources for the good of its people. And I think that government regulation isn't always a bad thing. And I would love to have um, national health care. That's all I'll say for now. <laughs> I know this is a little political moment. Those of you who don't like it or don't care about U.S. politics, it'll be over soon. <laughs> it's not that political. It's just like, it's just ideas and philosophies and values. So the next is the diplomatic axis. You're either in favor of nationalist kind of policies or world policies. I am 70% toward world policies, which puts me on the peaceful axis. I'm definitely, definitely more peaceful. Not a fan of war, to be honest. And I know that it is important to have um, military powers and be able to defend yourself or be able to defend your allies, yada, yada. But I think that we need to be very careful with our foreign policy. And definitely in the case of the U.S., I think a lot of our military spending is too much and that it could be allocated to better places. Anyway, I'm a peaceful girly. I'm a peaceful socialist so far. Then we have the civil axis, which goes from liberty to authority. This is obviously if you are more of a, like, a personal liberty type of person. <laughs> Freedom, I guess, versus the authoritarian kind of... Uh, mindset where you think that the state should have basically unlimited power over its people. Uh, I fall into the liberal side, which is 74%. Um, So I'm just about like personal liberties and I don't want the government to have too much power over its people. And then um, we have the societal axis, which is from tradition to progress. And obviously I am very progressive. I was 82% on the progressive side. Yeah, it was asking a lot of questions about, um, you know, how much I value tradition and maintaining culture. And if I think that tradition is enough to, you know, hang on to rather than wanting to move forward. And I am definitely not a traditional type of person. I think personally, like in me and my family, I just don't have a lot of traditions. Um, again, when, when, for example, Nathan's mom is asking me about, you know, even our holiday traditions, I'm like, I don't know, we don't really have many that we stick to very strongly. But like, I understand the, um, you know, the kind of cultural value of having traditions. I know it can be really fun. And it's very important to a lot of people in terms of their culture and their ancestors and, you know, all of that. But when it comes to kind of more, um, let's say, like, religious traditions. That's where you just completely lose me. I am not religious in any way. So, uh, yeah, I just, you know, anything from gay marriage to other kind of modern progressive ideals that are sometimes tied in with, you know, religious traditional values, that's just not my thing. I'm a progressive girl. I think that we should always be moving forward and, you know, Tradition, again, it can be good. It can be nice. I don't want tradition to be lost. I don't want culture to be lost or history, but that doesn't mean that we can't progress in society. So that's the eight values test. It doesn't have too many questions. There might have been like 70. (laughs) 
But again, your girl loves taking tests. By the way, in in regard to previously giftedness, um, I fucking love taking tests. Like, there's so many people who are like, oh, I hate tests. I'm not a test taker. I'm a good test taker. So when it comes to <laughs> any kind of an assessment, I love it. And I love getting, like, a clear answer back. Like, even, obviously, literally when it comes to a school test, like, knowing how many I got right or whatever. Um, But even, like, personality tests. Like, I love assessments. So, here we are. Anybody else love tests or a good test taker? I don't know. Does it matter in real life? Not really. But am I good at retaining information for the sake of regurgitating it in a test or quiz? Hell fucking yeah. So, the next test is the philosophy dichotomy test. Your girl said it, okay? I'm finally learning. We're all learning how to pronounce words. (laughs) Hey, you can be 23 and still care about your education, all right? So, oh, I was still looking at the wrong screenshot. I was like, this feels familiar. Okay. The philosophy dichotomy test, which you can find at dichotomytests.com. Uh, so this one was more of a, yes, philosophical, um, test, obviously, and I actually haven't ever taken a philosophy class. That's definitely something that's missing from my college curriculum, but we know that's incomplete, so we'll see if I'll end up taking one. But I think philosophy is very interesting. A lot of people struggle with it, and I don't know how I would be in a philosophy class because it's just, it's very unique in that there are no right or wrong answers necessarily. So I think that's what a lot of people struggle with in terms of like, I don't know, taking a philosophy test. Um, But I found this to be pretty interesting. So a dichotomy is basically uh, like two very different ideals. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I'm like, look up the definition of dichotomy yourself, nerd. So, we have materialism versus spiritualism. Usually, I wouldn't really put these as opposites, but I guess it does make sense. I am definitely not a material girl in a material world. (laughs) Oh, God. I've become hyper aware of me laughing at myself in the podcast, and it's always just that laugh. It's like that airy little laugh that's like... (laughs) And that's it. No chuckling, no giggles, just a... (laughs) breathing. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a materialist, really. I wouldn't call myself 100% a minimalist, but I also do think I am, um, more toward that lifestyle than I even would admit, and I would like to explore minimalism more, not as, like, a, like, a capsule wardrobe. Like, I don't care to be strict with myself or, like, start counting my possessions. Definitely not that far, but, Um, I think that I'm much more near the minimalist side of things in terms of physical items and, you know, uh, things that you own rather than wanting to collect as many things as possible. So, yeah, the materialism and spiritualism questions were interesting. Um, I wouldn't really know how to explain... Again, this is just, like, you take a bunch of questions and you answer them and then they get sorted into all of these different dichotomies, (laughs) dichotomies, <laughs> and then you you are shown where you land on it, but I don't really know, like, obviously I don't value material things, so I guess it was just saying, like, I value other things. <laughs> Fucking hell, I can't use my brain right now, sorry. I was actually 78% on the spiritualism side, so <laughs> shit, I'm spiritual, did you know? So the next one is egoism versus altruism. So, obviously, that is self versus, like, community kind of ideals, and I am 77% on the altruism side, um, which is a little bit tough because I think, I think I do value some, you know, ego kind of, uh, values, I guess. I mean, obviously, I am independent and I care about myself and how I perform, but not at the cost of others. A lot of the questions were things like about um, community and like if I would value other people's needs over my own. And I would like to say that I do (laughs) when it comes to like practice. Um, It's kind of harder to think of like actual situations, but I definitely try.
try not to think of myself as more of a selfish person. I am not the only person that matters. And then I also think that kind of ties into, um, again, a, a little bit of a political topic, but like just taxes. Like some people will do anything to lower their own taxes, but I would rather pay higher taxes if that means better health care nationally or affordable college nationally. So I think that's kind of where that comes in. The next ideals were idealism or pragmatism. Pragmatism. <laughs> oh no. The video stopped recording. And now we're back. Sorry about that. I have been talking for a while. Usually I take a break sooner than this. Uh, so idealism versus pragmatism. And I actually was pretty close to 50-50 on this one, but I was 56% on the idealism side, which I think is a good representation of me. I like to be, you know, rational in my decisions, but I do have more of a an optimistic spin on that. Then you have hedonism, and I don't know how to pronounce this one. I'm not sure. Asceticism? Asceticism. Yeah, that's got to be it. Uh, so hedonism, that hedonistic lifestyle, is more about, I guess, caring about, um, partying and having a good old time. Like, you know, he hedons, hedonistic things are like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I'm actually going to Google this so that I can explain it a little bit better. Hold on one sec. Hedonism? Hedonism. Take this little singing break for you. <laughs> um... Asceticism. Asceticism. I don't know how to pronounce it. Bye! <laughs> so, that's the sound of my laptop breathing heavily, just like me. Asceticism is denial of the physical world and separation from it. <laughs> no, it's not. Why did this definition just play me like that? Um, so... Okay, asceticism is like monks, nuns, hermits, gurus, and others living a life with few or no physical pleasures um, is that kind of value. And then hedonism is characterized by the pursuit of sensual pleasure, moving toward the physical world. Uh, the hedonist seeks out and enjoys sensual pleasures wherever and whenever the opportunity presents itself. Their response, this response to the physical world is to embrace it wholeheartedly. So I guess it's kind of a, um, a bit of a, a slightly religious, uh, dichotomy <laughs> in that it's like, are you focusing more on the physical material world rather than such as, you know, monks, for example, who focus on, um, you know, the mind and meditation and the universe. So... Surprisingly, I was 71% on the asceticism size. I, I side. I hope I'm saying that correctly. If not, I'm never going to say it again. Um, I think that's more so that I just don't like, um, like, partying. <laughs> so I don't know if that took away a lot of my hedonistic points. But that's interesting. And then there's nihilism versus moralism, which... Uh, Nihilism is the the philosophy of basically thinking that, like, there's no point to anything. <laughs> like, uh, it's kind of like an existentialist kind of worldview in that, like, nothing matters, life is pain, life is suffering. Again, I'm sorry if I'm absolutely butchering this. I bet any of you who have taken a lot of philosophy classes or study philosophy are probably cringing because I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I'm trying to explain the results of this test without knowing how to explain it. Um, but I was 72% on the moralism side. I'm definitely not a nihilist. I definitely think that there is um, kind of... There is joy in life. Life is not just suffering. You know, I think there is often a greater purpose out there somewhere in, in everything. <laughs> or at least that's my ideal way of thinking about the world. Then we have rationalism versus romanticism, which I have 71% romanticism. I'm a romantic girl. Um, again, I like to be rational in terms of, like, logic and looking at facts, but I, I think it is true that I am a very romantic person. Like, I think a lot of those questions were, like, um, 
in terms of decision making, like how important is emotion? And I know it's easy for people to be like, again, these are, these are, I can't say that one is right over the other because there are solid points and validity to each side. But um, for example, when people say, oh, you're being too emotional in this argument, like just focus on the facts. Um, I think in a lot of issues, it is important to let your emotions influence you a little bit because I think emotion matters and that's the romantic side of me. There you go. (laughs) Then we have skepticism versus absolutism. Um, which I'm very close to 50-50, though I am a bit closer to absolutism at 54%. Um, which, yeah, I guess, sure, that's true. All right, so I'm going to take a little break, and then we will be back with my astrology information, astrological information. As I said, I downloaded the app CoStar, uh, because everybody recommended it, so... Later on, if people add me to be friends with me, I can see our compatibility. So friends, relationships, uh, see how the planets are affecting their lives, yada yada. That's very interesting. I told my sister to download it. After I talked about, um, or I, I shared a couple things when people explained my my birth chart to me on Instagram. My sister sent me hers, and she was a fucking Sagittarius in almost every single house. And I was like, holy shit. But that actually makes sense, because um, my sister actually has a Sagittarius tattoo behind her ear. So I was like, oh, that's cool. At least, like, again, I'm like, I don't know very much about astrology. I wouldn't personally say that I'm super into it, but I am curious, and it is entertaining at the least. Um... But it'd be funny if my sister were, like, a Sagittarius sun sign, but then, like, totally different in all of her other signs and houses, I guess. But she's, like, she's a Sagittarius, like, through and through. So I can't wait to read about her and our compatibility. Uh, But yeah, when we get back, I will explain more of me. (laughs) Are you guys enjoying this episode listening to me? I hope so. By the way, how are you? (laughs) How are you doing? I'm sorry, I totally didn't ask. How rude of me. I'm a terrible, terrible friend. Just kidding. I'm a podcast host. It's all about me. This is the show with no guests. Except maybe once or twice a year. All right, see you in a sec. Bye. And I'm back. All right, we're going to get into my co-star astrology information. So what I learned recently, finally, was obviously my sun sign is a Libra. I have always very strongly identified with that, Uh, but I also am a rising or ascendant Capricorn, and my moon sign is Pisces. So let's get into what the fuck all that means, in case you're like me and you have no idea. Uh, So sun in Libra. The sun determines your ego, identity, and role in life. It's the core of who you are and is the sign you're most likely to already know. Your sun is in Libra, meaning you are fundamentally oriented toward fairness and justice. Hell yeah. Your always generous relativism allows you to see both sides of every situation, though this may sometimes come off as indecisive or insecure. That's definitely true. I do love to look at both sides. I like to at least try to think of the devil's advocate position in things, though I do think I am somewhat opinionated, and I don't find myself being too indecisive, but that's just me. (laughs) Burping. Love it. You don't get tied down to a single view of things. You frequently question yourself and and rethink your views. You're more impressionable than you appear. You do what you say, and can get a lot done. Typically well-dressed. I'm like, where do they get that from? Actually, though, I mean, I don't know. I think I dress all right, but I I wouldn't call myself well-dressed. Okay, so it's in your ninth house, meaning you feel the need to distinguish yourself from others through philosophy, faith, education, politics, and travel. Interesting, bitch. Interesting. I'm like, definitely with politics and travel, but education too, I guess. Okay, moon in Pisces. The moon rules your emotions, moods, and feelings. This is the sign you most think of yourself as. 
since it reflects your personality when you're alone or deeply comfortable. Your moon is in Pisces, meaning your emotional self is empathetic, dreamy, sensitive, and gentle. True, I'm just an emo bitch. (laughs) You feel vulnerable much of the time and desperately wish for a partner who deeply understands you. Bless up, that is very true. And shout out to Nathan, seriously, for understanding all of my um, emotional and my needs. (laughs) I feel like, um, I feel like this is my most emotionally vulnerable, uh, relationship that I've ever been in. And I'm really, really grateful that through all of my, um, you know, my bad anxiety or depressive episodes that Nathan is there and understanding, even though, um, he's fortunate to really not have any mental issues himself in terms of mental health. But um, bless him. He's such a such a wonderful person. And I'm very glad to have somebody who um, understands me. It's in your second house, meaning you find security and safety through money, material possessions, and security. Excuse me, bitch. That kind of contradicts my whole everything. But wait, let's look at this. Okay. I don't understand the whole houses thing, but um, maybe I'll learn eventually. Meaning you find security and safety through money and material possessions and security. Um, I guess, I mean, I'm like, I can make that fit. I can make it work in my mind. I would say in terms of like how I grew up financially, I always felt very unstable. And even at this point, I definitely feel financially unstable. Um, so I do, I do seek a, a more secure and financially stable future, but... I don't think that I necessarily have security and safety in material possessions, but mm, also, yeah, kind of. Okay, so rising in Capricorn. Your ascendant is the mask you present to people. It can be seen in your personal style and how you come off to people when you first meet. Some say it becomes less relevant as you get older. It changes every two hours. (laughs) So if it doesn't make sense, text your mom to confirm your birth time. That's actually fascinating. I'm pretty sure that my birth time is accurate, so I think I'm fine. Your ascendant is in Capricorn, meaning you come across as conservative, serious, and rational, perhaps even grave. Hmm, interesting. You seem to make decisions in a responsible, practical, and prudent way. Your ambitions may come up come off as opportunistic. Fascinating. Do I come off to people as conservative? Hopefully not politically. Am I right? Because that'd be just not me. Serious and rational. Hmm, maybe. Actually, probably a good amount of the time. But anyway. Uh, And then it gets into other things that I've heard from people who tried to explain astrology to me. That those, those main three are the most important and the other ones are, but not so much. So let's keep going. Um, A lot of my other things are in Libra, so I think I am a super Libra person, whatever that means. So let's continue. Mercury in Libra. Mercury determines how you communicate, talk, think, and process information. It also indicates how you learn. It is the mind's planet. Your Mercury is in Libra, meaning your intellect sees both sides to every situation. Hell yeah. You're a charming and diplomatic relativist, searching for balance in every set of ideas, though this may come off as insecure or indecisive. Please stop calling me insecure and indecisive because I'm not, even though I might be. That's me, balancing both sides. (laughs) Um, It's in your eighth house, meaning you are curious about and inclined to analyze death, sex, the truth, and how to trust. Hmm. That's the part I don't understand. All these, like, it's in your whatever house. I don't get that, but maybe I'll figure it out if I keep looking through this app. I don't know. Venus and Libra. Venus determines how and what you love. It indicates how you express affection and the qualities you're attracted to. Your Venus is in Libra, meaning your romantic side is idealistic and eager to please. You want an equitable relationship and you're willing to make compromises to get there. You can be a little self-obsessed and may have trouble being realistic or loyal in your relationships. Ooh, that's the tea. I think I'm a very loyal person, especially in relationships. Um, But a little (laughs) self-obsessed? Yeah, sometimes. 
just a bit. Um, Mars in Scorpio. Mars is the planet of aggression. It determines how you assert yourself, take action, and the energy that surrounds you, particularly in your sex life, your ambitiousness, and when you're angry. Your Mars is in Scorpio, meaning you assert yourself in a way that is serious and in- incisive, and you push things forward with passion and... In- and <laughs> of course, I stuttered on that, trying to be all passionate, and I just fuck it up. You assert yourself in, in a way that is <laughs> serious and incisive. You push things forward with passion and intensity. Okay. Once you decide you want to do something, you don't hold back. Jupiter and Sagittarius. One of the two social planets, Jupiter rules idealism, optimism, and expansion. It's also very philosophical. Your Jupiter is in Sagittarius, meaning you grow and find understanding through exploration, travel, questioning, curiosity, independence, and debate. If that is what Sagittarius is all about, then that is absolutely accurate to my sister. She is definitely a big fan of exploring and growing and traveling and being independent. So that's that's the tea. All right, that's all for that because I found myself getting a little bit bored. I also just opened the game that has become my new like jerk reaction of what to open on my phone, which is so bad. But um yeah, in case you guys have heard in in the last few episodes I'm playing a game which is called Homescapes. <laughs> I think I'm on oh, I'm on level 106. I saw some people on my Facebook friends because I've been being pathetic and requesting lives from them. Like, that's when you know, like, that you have hit a new low in terms of playing a game on your phone, is when you're willing to request lives or items from your Facebook friends. And um, so it's showing me this random list of people who are also playing this game. Kind of makes me insecure, but kind of makes me feel better. Because I'm like, all right, we're all in this together. We're all wasting a fuck ton of time playing this puzzle game and then repairing this dude's mansion. I don't know. Um, But anyway, yeah, I I keep playing this fucking game. And I will admit, I have something embarrassing to say. Um, The game has this safe that gives you coins. And the coins are very valuable because they can let you... Um, have some extra turns in case you need a few more moves to finish one of the puzzles or whatever games, uh, or they can give you power-ups. So the the safe collects extra coins, and it's like, oh, we have 12,000 coins, which is a pretty big deal. The value is like $15. So your, your, your fucking gold reserve is what it's called. It fills up, and... Um, it says, hurry to buy it at a great price. Buy 12,000 coins for five ninety nine, And my stupid ass bought it. <laughs> I thought that I was buying the safe so that I'd always have extra coins. I was like, okay, you know what? If it's a one-time thing, this $6, which yes, I probably shouldn't be spending on an app, uh, but I do enjoy this app a lot and I've been spending way too much time playing it, it would make my time more enjoyable because I'd be able to win more easily and it would come in handy and I'd keep earning extra coins. No, bitch, I'm a dumbass. I spent $6 on a one-time payment of 12,000 coins and then the fucking gold reserve is empty and then it wants you to buy it again. <sighs> I'm like, that's so fucking rude and also you fucking got me. I don't know how I didn't like read that explanation correctly and understand that it wasn't giving me, like, unlimited access to the fucking gold reserve. But anyway, yeah, that's my embarrassing uh, game update. (laughs) I have only ever paid real money to an app, like, two or three times in my life, and I'm not proud of any of them because does it ever make a difference in my life? No. Does it make my life better? No. Do I do it anyway because I'm frustrated and because I get stuck on a level and I just want to fucking beat it? Yes. (laughs) So that's where I'm at. All right. This is the end of the episode because I'm tired and I have to go upload a bunch of stuff, including this, which is posted while we're away. Anyway, uh, I hope you guys are looking at me on Instagram (laughs) because I'm probably posting some cute pics trying to not look pale. Uh, I don't know if I talked about the possibility of me getting a spray tan, but I don't think I'm going to do it. Uh, I considered it for a minute and now I'm just like, what if I stain my clothes or become splotchy? 
I guess it's better to just be pale. I also realized, um, because I was talking to Nathan's family about it, they're like, it's fine, we're all pale, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, like, I don't want to be pale. And then I realized it's because I'm from freaking South Orange County, beach cities. And so... I'm used to, like, when I was growing up, going to the beach with my friends and the girls that I, like, were in my loose friend group, like, everyone was so fucking tan because they went to the beach, like, every day that it was sunny. So, um, there was always this big, like, competition of who could be the most tan and have the best tan lines. And, like, not to a totally unhealthy extent, but, like, you got to have, like, a like, a dark, nice glow. And I just, I don't tan that well. I did see some old pictures where I had a pretty solid tan compared to me now. But, um, but anyway, I realized that that has been my comparison point where I'm like, oh, I need to be as tan as everybody else. Because when you're in fucking Dana Point, California, or Laguna Beach, and you show up pasty as hell, looking like you haven't been to the beach in two years, aka me, um, you just look like a tourist. Like, you totally don't look like a local. So it would be embarrassing as a local to show up and not look like a local, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> so I think that's where my um, my fear of looking pale on the beach comes from, which is pathetic. But also, you know, it's just a reflection of my upbringing. So cheers to anybody else who's grown up in a, in a beach city where all the girls are impossibly tan and skinny and um, effortlessly beautiful because it makes everyone feel self-conscious, <laughs> but it's fine. Anyway, uh, as you're listening to this, I'm having a good time on a freaking cruise. Hope I'm drinking and eating and enjoying everything. So, all right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, if you enjoyed this episode and this podcast, please consider rating and leaving a review on iTunes. It helps. Vaguely. It helps the podcast somehow. And stay tuned for another episode next week. I'm sure I'll be telling you about all of my adventures on the cruise. By the way, the only thing that I'm thinking about is um, Jan and Michael going to fucking Sandals, Jamaica, and then freaking Toby going to Costa Rica. So hopefully my experience will not be either of those things, uh, but stay tuned. All right. Okay, thanks. Bye.